he was life flighted to uh, a different hospital than I went to, and in the course of his treatment, he ended up receiving some contaminated blood. We're talking October of 82. Mm -hmm. They started testing uh, for the HIV virus January or February of 83. Wow. So it was just a few months before that time. But anyway, the one thing I took away from being in traction from October 17th until Christmas Eve of that year was that I had done a really poor job of being a father. Mm. I was a weekend father. We, we did a lot of really fun stuff. One of, one of my friends said to me, I, I don't know how to tell you this, so I'm just going to tell you. There are people that are afraid to be around y'all, and as long as you're coming to church, they aren't coming back. Hey, everybody, I want to welcome you again to the Before You Quit podcast, where we want to bring courage and perspective when serving gets hard. And man, does it get hard sometimes. That's why we do what we do on these podcasts. My name is Mitch Schultz, and I am the director of a ministry called Fruitful Vine Ministry, and also your host for these podcasts, where we talk about different challenges related to ministry, uh, interviews of all types and stripes. And today we really have an interesting, unique uh, conversation. I'm going to be talking to a good friend of mine called uh, by the name of Pastor Henry Puckett. And uh, he's going to tell a remarkable story of um, losing his only child in the 80s. And he will give the details of what happened in that experience. Uh, he and his wife, Donna, uh, had to deal with a reaction of others due to the illness, the nature of the illness of his son. Uh, they also had to deal with a marriage that was just hanging by a thread and how following the death of their son, Ian, uh, God rescued Henry and Donna and called them into ministry. And their story continues to be a story of encouragement to uh, other people. Uh, Pastor Henry Puckett and his wife were called into ministry and served in Atlanta, Georgia for a time, and also uh, most recently in Franklin, North Carolina. And today, Pastor Henry and Donna lead a 501c3 ministry called the Filling Station of Franklin. And the purpose of this ministry is to fight hunger across the street and around the world. Uh, they were able, he tells me, to package 32,402 meals in two and a half hours during their first food packaging event. And they do this on a regular basis. And I remember, uh, I think it was the first time they did this, I was actually there helping for an hour or two. Uh, anyway, let's go ahead and jump into this um, interview. It's, it's going to be a, a tough, tough conversation, uh, but one that both Henry and I uh, found ourselves uh, with an affinity of loss uh, because of our uh, my son having passed and uh, the same age that his son Ian had passed. And I think you're also going to find that this is a, a conversation that is encouraging and brings glory to God, which is my purpose in all that I do. So let's jump in now. All right, I am in the beautiful Smoky Mountain town of Franklin, North Carolina. Across the table from me, taking a sip of water, is Henry Puckett. Henry, so good to have you give yourself to this uh, podcast interview today. Thanks for the opportunity. And uh, I always get your name wrong. It has two T's. But Henry, what does it matter when you pronounce it? I mean, it's Puckett either way. I have given way. up, Mitch, <laughs> telling you that it has two T's. I've told you a hundred times. I, I, probably, so. I probably do that on purpose now just yeah. to I assume you do, yes. <laughs> well, Henry, you are a, a pastor and have been for a number of years. But the reason I'm interviewing today is because you... Uh, 
uh, you have a, a really hard, dramatic story to tell, and you've told it to me, and I know freely have shared it with other people. Uh, your son, uh, only child, was diagnosed with AIDS some years ago and, and died, and um, this was, of course, at a time when that, uh, that sickness was not known at all. So tell us that story, uh, what happened, how it happened, and uh, yeah, and we can move on from there. Okay, uh, in 1982, October 17th in 1982, Ian and I had an auto accident. Uh, in the course of that accident, it broke both of my legs, and it burst his bladder and broke one of his legs. Mm. He was life-flighted to uh, a different hospital than I went to, and in the course of his treatment, he ended up receiving some contaminated blood. We're talking October of 82. Mm -hmm. They started testing uh, for the HIV virus in January or February of 83. Wow. So it was just a few months before that time. Uh, of course, back then, no one knew about AIDS. Yeah, it was and, a mystery. And yeah. what we were hearing was, you know, wrath of God and all kinds of other yeah, things. Yeah. But, uh, but anyway, when, when it's your child, it really greatly changes the, the coloring of the way you feel about mm -hmm. different things. But anyway, 82, he recovered. I recovered. Uh, at that moment or at that time in our lives, Don and I and were separated. She and Ian were living in... Villarica, Georgia, where we grew up. Uh, I was in Atlanta. Mm -hmm. and oh, you were separated in your we marriage. We were separated. Oh. We had separated in uh, eight, uh, in 79. Oh, my. And so we, at that point, we've been separated for two-plus two years. Um, Easter of uh, 84, we went back to church. So at that point, we were back together. Uh, summer of 83, I moved back to Villarica to to try to be a father. Mm -hmm. uh, at that point, I now, was... your son was not sick with anything He was not sick. No, he recovered. Yeah. I recovered. Well, I was I was still recovering because mm -hmm. my legs were pretty shattered. But, mm -hmm. uh, but anyway, the one thing I took away from being in traction from October 17th until Christmas Eve of that year was that I had done a really poor job of being a father. Mm -hmm. I was a weekend father. We, we did a lot of really fun stuff. But I missed a lot of his growing up during mm -hmm. those years. And I, I wish I could say I was greatly convicted by God at that time, but I wasn't. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was still ha chasing my own dreams mm -hmm. when the accident happened. And even after that, I, I still was very much um, the center of my universe. Mm -hmm. um, but I did want to be uh, a better father. And so mm -hmm. I went back to Villarica with the idea of that happening. Donna and I decided to uh, again live together as a family for Ian's sake. Both of us wanted mm -hmm. to do it for him. Um, and so at that point, we began then to try to live as a family ought to live without God mm -hmm. in the center mm -hmm. of it. Easter of 84, uh, we went back to church and have pretty much been there ever since. I tried in the beginning, at least, to, to have my cake and eat it, too. Mm -hmm. You know, I thought if I did enough stuff for God, he would be satisfied. And so I cut the grass. I painted the church. I took communion to shut in. Yeah, I did all of those things <laughs> that we want to do to make ourselves righteous. And He wasn't very impressed, was he, God? Well, was he? <laughs> he, he quite literally, and I, not audibly, but he made it very clear. It was kind of like, well, you quit jerking me around. <laughs> and, it was, <laughs> and there's one instance I really remember. Because... Uh, can I tell you something in confidence through the podcast? 
I know. No, it's okay. Oh, you're joking. Okay. I was yeah, going to push pot. Yeah. Uh, at that point in my life, I was a pothead. Okay. Nobody knows this, so y'all kind of keep it to yourself. Don't <laughs> my, spread my, it around. My two listeners will not mind. <laughs> but, you know, and I was getting stoned on the way I to church I think one of, the, one of them is a pothead, so I'm not, uh, anyway, I'm not sure. But. Anyway, I... I uh, I was getting stoned on my way to church, mm. still thinking wow. that, and everybody was patting Henry on the back because he was doing a lot of mm. stuff. Mm. I I was quite literally cutting the grass, painting the church, mm. you know, doing whatever needed to be done, thinking that if I did enough stuff for God, he would be mm. really happy mm. with Henry. And he pretty much made it clear that he wasn't happy, mm. <laughs> that I had to either kind of be all in or all out. Yeah. And there was a point along the way where I had pulled into our driveway where we were living, um, had a hill behind it, and I opened the car door, put my foot on the ground, and this almost was an audible voice at this point. I put my foot on the ground. There were a bunch of kids running down the hill. Everybody hung out at my house when I wasn't there. Mm -hmm. And it was as if God spoke to me quite literally and said, until you allow me to deal with your anger, I can't really do a whole lot in your life. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I heard these little kids saying, you better hurry, he's home. Hmm. When when six and eight and ten-year-old kids are running from you because of the way you are, hmm. that's just... Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and so at that point, I said, okay, God. And the first time I told this story, I said, and just like that. Donna happened to be hearing when I said, just like that. And she started laughing. I said, what? She said, not like this. It was pretty quick, but... But he did deliver me from mm-hmm. anger. Mm-hmm. He did set me free. Mm-hmm. And in the process of that, I, I began to think that freedom was uh, a done deal and I didn't have to work with him. Mm-hmm. found out not long along the way that, yeah, he did set me free, but mm-hmm. I had to continue to want to be free yeah. and to, to work with him for that mm-hmm. to happen. So. so, again, you're being drawn to the Lord. Your marriage is repairing. What's what's happening with Ian at this point? Well, at that point, now we're talking 84, 85, mm-hmm. um, 86. He's born on March 18th in 1976. So mm-hmm. uh, at this point in, in late February, early March of 86, he had what we thought was a cold. Mm-hmm. Took him to the doctor. Didn't do much good. Took him again. Didn't do much good. Took him to a pediatrician um, in Carrollton, Georgia. Dr. Beret, he's French and uh, would never pronounce Ian's name right. He always called him Ian. <laughs> and, and Ian would always say, Dr. Beret, it's Ian. He would say, <laughs> okay, Ian. <laughs> and so, but what a good man, a godly mm-hmm. man he was. And But I was in Atlanta. Donna took him to the pediatrician. I got a phone call. She said, you need to come to Carrollton. Dr. Beret has just put Ian in the hospital. Mm. And, and, you know, you have been in that position, and you know what, how you're bombarded with all of these feelings. Mm-hmm. Uh, so anyway, uh, uh, an hour drive I made in about 40 minutes. Uh, by the time I got to the hospital, Ian was on the way to intensive care. Wow. Um, we sat outside the intensive care unit that night, not knowing what's what. About 2, 30, 3 o'clock in the morning, Dr. Beret came out and he sat down and he said, Mr. and Mrs. Paquette, I don't know how to tell you this, but I think your son either has leukemia or AIDS. Mm. And if he lives through the night, we'll start sorting it out in the morning. Wow. And so at this point, you know, I, I had already allow God to deal with my anger. I was doing everything I could to be the man that he wanted me to be, to be the father, to be the husband, 
to be the the part of the body mm-hmm. at, at our church and and I'm sitting outside intensive care going what's going on God mm-hmm. and I had stored up all of the scripture in my mind uh, all I could remember was Romans 8 28 mm-hmm. and, and I'm sitting out there going through Romans 8 28 and I knew I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that Ian loved God. Mm. He had already committed his life to Christ, and he sold out like mm. little kids can do. Mm. Uh, and, and I knew that God had called him. I knew that Ian responded, and I'm scratching my head trying to figure out how this is going to be good. Mm. Um, yeah, because the prognosis is really bad. Uh, well, what do you pray yeah. for, Mitch, yeah. when you hear leukemia or yeah. AIDS? Yeah. Um, you know, AIDS was the disease that those people get yeah. at that point. Oh, and it was extremely rare still. It was, uh, he was the unfamiliar. First, he was the first school-age child in Georgia to have AIDS. Um, and so when, when special things happen and you're you're the only or the first, yeah. it's not it necessarily a, a good thing. Yeah, and it gets a lot of attention. We'll talk about that. So what what, what did you find? I mean, when did you find out it okay, was AIDS? Um, well, he lived through the night. That was first. We were able to go in and see him occasionally that mm-hmm. night. We had to suit up with a gown and mm. the gloves and the mask. And um, and here's this, this child that has not quite turned 10 years old mm-hmm. yet, looking up at his parents mm-hmm. clothed. And wow. uh, talk about a test of faith. Mm-hmm. More of a test probably for Donna and for me than for mm-hmm. him. Uh, and I'll tell you the story in a minute of what happened when we brought him home because uh, we he got better. He lived through the night enough mm-hmm. to be able to transported, be transported to Eggleston Hospital in mm-hmm. Atlanta, uh, across the road from Emory. Uh, he had his doctor, uh, Dr. Kaiserling, was a, a professor at Emory, a research uh, uh, infectious disease doctor. Uh, Ian was his first patient he had had mm-hmm. in years. But he was the only one that he knew more about AIDS than anybody mm-hmm. around at the time. And it, it, what a what a good man he is. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jewish background. He couldn't quite understand our faith along the way. Mm-hmm. It was fun. Mm-hmm. But uh, anyway, he, uh, he began to treat it, and he got better. About three weeks after we got to Eggleston, he came in and told Donna, I was working, uh, that... Uh, for sure, Ian had AIDS. It, it took a while wow. to find out wow. back then. And so we took him home from the hospital. I'd gone off to work, and I picked him back up at the hospital. We went to Villarica, set him down on the sofa, and I said, Ian, you have AIDS. That's an acronym for uh, Acquired Immune Deficiency Syndrome. Mm-hmm. And there are five diseases that you might get because of this. Mm-hmm. There were five markers at the time, and uh, cryptococcal meningitis was what he had. That mm-hmm. was one of the markers. Uh, and these are the symptoms of those diseases. This is what might happen with mm. people. It was at that time that... You're just trying to be as honest as you possibly could with him, tell well, him what he was facing. Yeah, mm. because, I mean, he had been poked and prodded. Yeah, and yeah. You know. yeah, he's got a lot of questions himself, doesn't yeah. he? Yeah. Anyway, for over an hour, I told him one bad thing after another. Mm-hmm. You know, this is the way people might react. Mm-hmm. And it was about that time that... There were two brothers in Florida that were hemophiliacs. They got burned out of their house Mm. because of people. And so I got finished. By the time I got finished telling him all of this bad news, his head was hanging down. I said, Ian, do you have any questions? No response. Do you understand what I said? Mm -hmm. Still no response. I said, Ian, look at me. Talk to me. Mm. 
He looked up, one tear ran out of mm. each eye, and he said, I don't want to die, Daddy. Mm. I don't want to leave you and Mama. And he hung his head back down, and we're just sitting there stunned. Yeah. And then he looked up, and he smiled, and it was literally like the face of an angel, mm. Mitch. He said, but I'll be all right. Jesus will take care of me. <laughs> and he lived that mm. kind of faith for wow. two years. Wow. Until the morning of his 12th birthday, he went to be with the Lord. Oh, my goodness. Hmm. And so, in the midst of all of this, a lot of things happened. Yeah. Well, I mean, again, it's a, it was the, the, the poster boy at that time was Ryan White. I mean, he right. was nationally known. That was happening around the same time, wasn't yes. it? And, and, he, he preceded uh, Ian. Yeah, he, and Ian, of course, was... was quite well known in Atlanta certainly in your circle of uh, in of our friends, friends and, in our friends and, and yeah so what, what, what was that like I mean again it was a disease that people were still unfamiliar with um, I know you've got stories that you want to share about how uh, how people reacted to you how they responded to, to you um, you know knowing that your son had this okay well what happened and I'm he, sure there's good examples of how people there, were and, there are and probably some examples. some not so good ones <laughs> the nature of humanity yeah we you remember know, the bad, bad ones yeah. Don't we? yeah we write the books about the bad things people say well we write about the good ones <laughs> too because yeah. I, I have to tell you that but he got better mm. uh, what they treated him with was a drug called amphotericin that mm. Ian called amphoterrible <laughs> well it really was a yeah. caustic drug mm. and they they created it thinking it would help fight leukemia mm. Mm-hmm. And it didn't do anything with leukemia, but it did knock back, at least to some degree, the cryptococcal mm-hmm. fungus. It's a fungus. Mm-hmm. And he got better. He got stronger. We went back to church, even. Mm-hmm. And now we're talking about the summer. And people know that he has AIDS. And people know that he has AIDS. And so we hadn't been back more than uh, maybe a couple of weeks mm-hmm. when the elders called me on one Sunday afternoon and said, would you come up and talk to us? And so I did. And I'm sitting there with my, my pastor, my elders, my friends. And one of, one of my friends said to me, I, I don't know how to tell you this, so I'm just going to tell you. There are people that are afraid to be around y'all. And as long as you're coming to church, they aren't coming back. Mm-hmm. We're not saying we don't want you to come. We mm-hmm. just thought you needed to know. Mm-hmm. And I cannot describe the depth and the layers of the feeling that were washing over mm, me sitting oh, at that yeah, table with yeah. these guys. Because on the one hand, they had been there greatly encouraging. On the other hand, I felt abandoned. Yeah. You, were losing, so what, you felt like you were losing your, your main support community, weren't you? Uh, a large part mm-hmm. of it. So I went home, uh, and I told Donna and Ian, and we cried and we prayed and we cried and prayed. And at this point... Ian is 10 years old, and he's crying and praying with us. Donna and I and Ian, mm-hmm. uh, one of the things that happened initially when he first got sick is we had church among the three of us. Mm-hmm. I mean, wherever we mm-hmm. were, it was, mm-hmm. and it was pretty much a, a daily adventure, if not a hourly adventure, because we were so desperately in need of God, and he was so tangibly present. Mm-hmm. I mean, there were times when I would look around expecting to see a manifestation of God's presence, an angel or mm. or something. Uh, so he was very real, but <laughs> Ian's the one that said this, a 10-year-old. Daddy, if they're afraid to be around us, they need to be there worse than we do. 
They need to be what? They need to be there worse than we do. Mm. We'll have church at home like we've been doing, which is what we did for the Mm. two years. Pretty much. I mean, Mm. we visited some churches because there were people that were reaching out Mm -hmm. without really realizing what they were doing. Yeah. Uh, Because they were, when they reached out to us, they were also getting involved in a whole lot of other stuff from the nature of humanity or whatever. Mm -hmm. So uh, so we had church at home and we discovered uh, an intimacy with God during that time that was incredible. There were days when we got up that the presence of God was so tangible, it was like, oh no, what's going to happen mm-hmm, today? Mm-hmm. Because he often did precede. He yeah. did go ahead, just like he did with, with Moses and mm-hmm. Israel coming out of Egypt. Uh, and he did come behind. He came up behind to protect and to comfort uh, in an incredible way. And so all of that was, was, uh, was wonderful. What happened after Ian passed uh, is the elders and my pastor came back to our house and said, we want you guys to come back to church. Mm. And all I could say at the time was, we'll, we'll pray about it. Mm-hmm. And I don't think we even prayed about an hour, mm. Mitch, before God said, you got to go. Yeah. You got to mm. go tell them what you've discovered. Mm. Because at that time, people weren't talking about an intimacy with God, yeah. a personal mm. relationship. Mm. Yeah, it was it was traditional sort of church, yeah. and we went back to to say you won't believe what happened, and so that that, that that's amazing to hear because again, uh, you you were shunned. I mean, for all all practical purposes, that is what was happening, and I and I understand that there was that that era when this was so unknown. But, but again, you were isolated. And for you to choose to go back to be a testimony uh, of what God has done is is evidence of what happened during that that period of isolation. That's that's remarkable. Well, remarkable about him, not us. Sure, so absolutely, yes. Because I won't say we went kicking and yeah, screaming, you, but right, right. But but we you, did resist. The impulse I, was to yeah. set the record straight to lash out. I'm sure. Well, and we weren't totally isolated because. Yeah, we saw some of that kind of stuff. But Donna's brother said this to her during that time. He said, Donna, put yourself in their position. Mm -hmm. How would you feel if your child was around someone that had a disease that no one really knows about Mm -hmm. that's terminal? And it put things in context Mm -hmm. a little better for us at that point. But we had other people, our friends at church, that did not abandon Mm -hmm. us. They... They drew closer to mm-hmm. us. In fact, our so friend, people would still come by and visit. Oh, sure, and, okay. sure. And our friend, our friend, uh, friends, Paul and Becky, they, they were those friends you find once in a lifetime. I mean, we really bonded and went through a, not just this, but a lot of other stuff mm-hmm. together in a way that that was only possible because we were members of God's family mm-hmm. together. Mm-hmm. But Becky's a little bitty woman, and she went around her neighborhood. And she said, look, you people need to know, uh, Ian is the child of our best friends, Mm. and they will be at our house. And if you don't want your children around them, keep them at home. Mm. And she literally walked her whole subdivision, Mm. and there's probably, there were probably 50 or 60 houses in that subdivision, but she went to every one. And she told them, and if they weren't there, she left her phone number, and she said, call me, we need to talk. Amazing. And so they were that way. Mm-hmm. And Becky, one time we had to go to the hospital in the middle of the night. Ian was having a seizure. And Donna called Becky just to say, don't worry about us, we're mm-hmm. going to Eggleston. 
we're sitting outside while they're treating him in the, the acute treatment area. That's what they called it. Uh, and we had to go out, so they were doing that. And we look up, and here's this little woman, mm-hmm. Becky, that drove an hour in the middle of the night and told her husband, Paul, Paul, take care of the kids. I don't know mm-hmm. when I'll be home. Mm-hmm. Um, and she wasn't the only one, or they weren't the only ones. We had others that did that, too. So in some ways, we felt sort of abandoned, and in other ways, we felt God, more tightly bonded. The Lord brought other people into your life to encourage you what you, what you needed. Uh, and and there were many others that came along too, strays that mm-hmm, came in. In mm-hmm. fact, one of them just came back to us through a through a, a Facebook comment. Wow, wow! That had, and that's a whole mm-hmm. different story. Yeah. We'll get into that. Well, t- tell us uh, tell us a little bit about Ian. What was he like? And I'd like yeah. to I'd like to hear too what the last days were like for him. Okay, um, he, I was an only child, and that's what I wanted one child because I can remember having cousins who. Uh, had multiple children in the family and it seemed like there was always a favorite child and that seemed so wrong to me and there was a black sheep and and that seemed wrong and so I thought well one's probably the way it ought to go because and Donna wanted several uh, until she had one and she said I'm good but he was he was our proverbial perfect child he had my ears see this little little thing he had this it had moved a little bit and and I got that from my dad it might have moved from his uh, he could spread his toes out like a duck, like Donna, like this. <laughs> and so he he was a treasure from the very beginning. He, he, when he was three years old, maybe three and a half, hungered to do what was right. Mm. You know, kids go through that rebellious period mm-hmm. and, and, and they have to learn the difference between yeah. right and wrong. But he was such a... Uh, a, a child that was so eager mm. to do what was right. Mm. So he was a great pleasure growing mm. up. Um, always uh, befriended the downtrodden mm. uh, at school. You know, he, his school didn't last long because of what happened. Mm. Uh, when, he, when he first got sick, of course, he was going into the third grade. So um, didn't really have a lot of years in there. But he developed some really close relationships with mm. some of those folks. It was interesting. We hadn't seen any of those those families the whole time, mm-hmm. and when when we had his funeral at, at church, it, it was amazing how many of those folks showed up. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, of course, because it's a child and it's yeah. a tragic circumstance. Yeah. The church was packed in the hallway and in the parking lot, and uh, people from from Atlanta that were either our friends or that were a part of Eggleston came, mm-hmm. and so it was a a good thing but he when he decided at eight years old to commit his life to Christ I tried to talk him out of it Mm. and I did that because I did it when I was 10 and I didn't do so Mm. good I hit that period when Mm. I became a you wanted to make sure he was very I wanted to make sure he knew what he was doing Mm. but he persuaded me Mm. and partly because of uh, my pastor's wife uh, Edna she was his Sunday school teacher, children's church teacher, and she really laid a great foundation in her kids that mm. she taught. And Ian had that foundation, mm. so I quizzed him. Mm. And I quizzed him pretty hard, too. And and he passed with flying mm. colors. Wow. And he ended up, I, say, Ian, I, I said, Ian, tell me the one thing that would, would 
really make it different if you were a part of God's family. And he said, well, Daddy, um, when, when I commit my life to him, when I get baptized, um, God will look at me and he won't see me for who I am. Mm. He'll see his son Jesus wow, because that's... I'll be covered with his likeness. How do you have an eight-year-old yeah, taught that's like solid that? theology there, isn't it? <laughs> well, at that point, I quit yeah. trying to yeah, yeah, talk him out of it. Yeah, no doubt. And he really lived a life of faith yeah. all the way to yeah, the very it's, end. It sounds like a remarkable, remarkable young man, and the Lord was preparing him also for uh, for this hardship he was going to face. What, what was it? What were the last days like? Uh, what kind of conversations did you have with well, him? Well, the, the whole two years that practically that we were going through this were uh, there were a lot of wonderful stories mm-hmm. and a lot of heartbreaking stories mm-hmm. the last week of his life um, one of the things that happened also is the the fungus had had spread and so it had gotten into his brain and and he was in and out mm-hmm. uh, intellectually and in some ways he was was almost like a little child at mm. times, and in other ways, very lucid. The the day that he passed, he passed about 2.30 in the morning. The day before that, mm. the whole day, he could see something, Mitch. I don't mm. know what he could see, but he would say, Mama, Mama, Daddy, come here. And when we would get close, it's like we would break whatever mm. he had a connection mm. with. Mm. And he'd say, never mind. Mm. And we're convinced he could see over during that wow. time. He was so weak for the last six months of his life, he could hardly walk. Mm. He His legs were so weak that when you would pick his feet up to put them in your lap to rub his feet, because that was one of the ways he liked to maintain contact, rub my feet, uh, his legs would tremble. Mm. And yet he would be like this with this left arm reached up to heaven mm. for hours. Mm. And... We took turns sleeping with him. Donna would do one night, I'd do the next. And we'd wake up in the middle of the night, and he'd be laying in the bed like this with his arms stretched up. And Donna said to him, Ian, what's going on with this? Are you talking to God? And he said, of course, Mama. (laughs) Yeah, like, don't you understand anything? One of the things that happened during that time, too, though, Mitch, is he and I, you know, what do you do when... Unless God changes things, your life's going to be limited. Mm-hmm. We did school for a while, and then we decided, eh, probably not, not that yeah. big a deal. What we did is we did Bible study. Mm-hmm. We, we read mostly to Ian. Donna would, and I would. And and we he and I were studying James chapter 5, you know, the prayer of faith. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I had my concordance out telling him what uh, the save or heal, whichever translation you're reading, uh, means and it's sozo s o z o is the transliteration, mm-hmm. but it sounds like it has a d in it sozo. But it it means to be healed, to be to complete. Eleven mm-hmm. mm-hmm. year old Ian said to me, "Daddy, does that mean God and I are okay?" Mm-hmm. And I said, "Well, yeah, Ian, that really is kind of what mm-hmm. it means." And he said, "Well, I am healed. Then it doesn't matter what happens wow. to my body. Wow. God and I are okay no matter what." Mm-hmm. And I realized, Mitch, at that time, this little eleven year old boy. Help me understand what that really means better than the doctors of whatever I had talked to before. Mm-hmm. Because God, God's Word is always true. Mm-hmm. It's never sometimes true and sometimes mm-hmm. not. And, of course, people would say, well, i got to tell you this one. Had people that came to me and said, you must not have enough faith or God would heal your mm-hmm. son. 
Uh, and then the other one was, uh, talk about a gut check here. There must be unconfessed sin in your life or God would heal your son. <laughs> uh, talk about a gut check. Yeah. I, I have to admit to you, and I've told other people this, so whoever hears this can tell other people too. I stole a pack of BBs when I was five years old. That's why. <laughs> I ended up confessing that. Yeah. I, it's actually one of the best things that ever happened to mm. me because I got caught. Yeah. The guy, he said, go get your daddy and bring him back here. Mm. Talk about a walk, long walk. Uh, never had any desire for anybody mm. else's stuff after that, mm. though. Uh, but this, this small child uh, loved God. If I can say anything about him, he loved God mm. and loved people. He bore all of this with more grace than yeah. most folks yeah. I've ever known. Yeah. And of course, you know, as Perrin, your story is so similar to ours with our our son dying around the same age. I mean, I, I'm, as you're talking, it's like, yeah, that's me too, me too. Um, but it, we, we still have to grieve, even though our our recollection or memory of a, of a child is, is so precious and, uh, you know, his intimacy with God. Uh, he passes, of course, you and Don are still left with the, the deep sadness, and that lasts for a long time, no doubt. Uh, I know at times we've talked, we both have shed tears as we talk about our sons. And it never goes away. Um, what happened to your marriage? I mean, obviously, uh, as he was sick, at, from the, the time frame that you're describing here, you were back together again. There was, you said you were mainly coming back together again for him. There must have been healing during his sickness. Talk to us more specifically about after he died, what was happening in the marriage? Well, let me talk about before he got sick a little mm-hmm. bit first, because in this coming back to, to work with God, mm-hmm. it was like major renovation. Yeah, for you personally. Heart, yes. For both yes. of us, yeah. for Donna okay. and for me. And and it's kind of incredible the way the Lord reshaped both of us so mm-hmm. that we fit together. Mm-hmm. And so we were getting closer and closer and closer, even before the sickness. Once the sickness happened, we grew exponentially closer. Mm-hmm. I mean, we were in this together in a very real sense. And so we grew closer during that time. Doesn't always happen with people mm-hmm. in crisis. It, it, you often, know, often it's the opposite. Yeah, um, probably half and half, mm-hmm. I guess, from mm-hmm. what I've uh, I know. But but we grew closer, and after Ian passed, it was okay. God, we're sitting. I told you it was about two thirty in the morning. We're sitting. He wanted to die at home. He mm-hmm. wanted to live at mm-hmm. home. Um, you know when when you get in a, an intense medical situation. Of course, the doctors want you to be always there and take mm-hmm. all the drugs and do all the stuff. And, and Ian said, please don't make me do that. Mm. Um, he, and, and he, as a 10-year-old, what, and we were pretty honest with him about it. I mean, how can you not be honest with you? To, to hide something like that from a child, I, mm-hmm. I don't think it's fair to the child yeah. or to the patient anyway, but mm-hmm. especially to the child. Because if you teach them about heaven, Mm-hmm. I mean, why would we not want to look forward to it? Mm-hmm. And so he kind of did. He yeah. really, and he said, you know, if if I live two years, then that means I get to go to heaven. Mm-hmm. And if I don't, that means I get to go to heaven. And if I live longer than that, mm-hmm. I still get to go still to heaven. Go. So, yeah. and, and he kind of took away a lot of the human mm-hmm. things that we look at. So and, you and Don are experiencing this together. I mean, yes. his, his faith was no doubt helping you to to grow together, to deepen in your own faith in Christ. And so, because he wanted to die at home, mm. we knew he was, 
I guess I was more in denial than Donna. I was mm-hmm. still holding out for God's mm-hmm. healing, mm-hmm. the physical healing. Sure. And 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 Donna, she was pretty certain. More realistic. We we both knew it was going to be yeah. soon, unless God changed something. Mm-hmm. So about two thirty in the morning, I, I was sleeping beside the bed. You know, we mm-hmm. had we had lowered, we had taken the bed frame out and put the mattress down on the floor so that we could all be closer mm-hmm. together. And and I heard Ian quit breathing. Mm-hmm. And I said, Donna, she was asleep. I said, Donna, hmm. she woke up. She said, what is it? I said, I think Ian just hmm. passed. Wow. And immediately in our house, the temperature dropped 10 degrees. Hmm. No kidding. Hmm. 10 degrees, that's how much his spirit warmed that place, I guess. You know, whatever it is, it happened. The, we didn't run out of propane. We used mm-hmm. propane to heat. We didn't run out of that. It was it was pretty chilly that night. Donna's brother and a friend of ours had gone to a Waffle House to get coffee. They came back, and David opened the door without us saying a word. And he said, what's happened? Hmm. He could he sense. Co- he could yeah. sense that something eventful had happened. Yeah. And so at that point, you know, Donna told him, and and we began the process of grieving. But we're we're we're... Donna and, and I just grabbed Ian out of the bed and I was holding him and Donna was, was we were sitting in the floor holding our, mm-hmm. our child who just died and going through what happens when mm-hmm. a body dies and cleaning them up because he wanted to be cleaned up before we went to the, we had to take him to the hospital to be declared dead but we um, were sitting there, okay God you got us through this, mm-hmm. what's next? And you know, once once you make it through a major part of your life, because at that point, my understanding of being a father, of being a husband, is to get my family to heaven. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. my responsibility. Mm-hmm. So what do you do once part of that's fulfilled? Yeah. Yeah, how do you do the next step? Yeah. And so we wow. were saying, okay, God, whatever you want, we'll do it. <laughs> and you both were experiencing that. We both were. Yeah. Wow. And we wow. both were hungry for yeah. that, because how do you make... How do you maximize yeah. such an event? Yeah. Well, you leaned you leaned on each other. No yes. doubt. Uh, Henry, let's let's transition a little bit and and bring that back in because this was no doubt a significant part of your calling into ministry. Uh, to talk about just briefly here, and then I've got some questions to tie all of this up. Uh, what happened after that? You're a pastor now. You've been a pastor for some years. How how did that experience uh, shape the call? Tell us a little bit about what what happened. Well, after Ian passed, because uh, you weren't you weren't in ministry during this time. Well, I was. In, uh, we were teaching Sunday school. Okay. Uh, we got what was called the Middler Group, third and fourth grade mm-hmm. kids. We we got that group done, and I did because nobody else wanted them. <laughs> and, and we were teaching, and it was a it was a great experience. Mm-hmm. You know, when when the stuff happened. Uh, of course, that stopped for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the, after, call, the call to ministry came after his passing, right? Yes. Okay. And, and after after we went back to church, mm-hmm. uh, we we again inherited the Midler group mm-hmm. because uh, nobody wanted. Well, I, I can't say that we we wanted them. Let mm-hmm. me put it sure, that way because, sure. and we worked well together. I was the teacher, and Donna was the crowd control or the the soother. Mm-hmm. We had some kids that would get kind of frantic and. She'd go up and put her hands on their shoulders, and, and it, you could see mm-hmm. almost just a touch would mm-hmm. soothe them. And so we did that for a while, and, and that evolved into let's do it more. Mm-hmm. 
Hmm. I, I became the youth minister for the okay. whole group at, at our church, uh, a deacon, an elder, going, you know, growing through all of that. At this point, my mentor, Charles, said, you know, God's got a call in your life. And I said, well, let's just do what we're doing. Didn't really want to go through the big change. Uh, but we did eventually. I, I went to Kentucky Christian, got my uh, master's in ministry mm-hmm. and uh, preached at that church, at Villarica Christian Church for some time. Uh, left there to begin a, another ministry called Crossroads, which was a 24-7 kind of ministry, helping people with life-controlling mm-hmm. issues. From there, went to Florida for four years to a church there mm-hmm. to uh, do more full-time ministry, and, and then came up here, of course, after that. So, mm-hmm. In terms of the call, it seems like if I were to try to, to abbreviate or to con- consolidate what the call is about, to me at least, it's... There's more. Take another step. Hmm. Um, take another step in your relationship with God. Uh, take another step in, in yielding to Him. He will be as fully present and as tangible as you will allow Him to hmm. be. And He wants not just to, to be present in our lives. He wants to provide what we need. In, in James chapter 5, it's healing. Hmm. We, we, we want physical healing. But he will always provide the wholeness. Mm-hmm. The prayer of faith will always mm-hmm. make the sick person whole. Sometimes it will bring miraculous physical healing. And praise God when it does. But please don't ever forsake the wholeness for the healing. Mm-hmm. Because the wholeness is always available. Mm-hmm. And the wholeness is all-consuming. It will uh, not just go from, from one little part of our life. It will consume our whole mm-hmm. life if we'll allow it. Yeah. And to me, I think that's why yeah. you continue to do what you do. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, yeah, and it's remarkable to me that, and again, I, I don't want to over-speak uh, about this um, or be overly dramatic about it, but the, the, the very community that kind of pushed you away, you came back and served and and out of that then was launched you were launched into uh, a, a career path of, of ministry right uh, now you had you, you've had some difficult ministry as well I mean <laughs> I, I'm sure you're and we don't need to go in a lot of details here but uh, uh, you, you've had you know a good season hard season uh, if you compare the hard stuff of ministry losing a child can you compare the two? How do you? How do you? Here, how do you here's what I hope it? comes out of this. I know my child is in heaven, and so I take Uh-oh. great comfort from that. Sure. Every sure. day, I hope the difficulties in ministry mm-hmm. result in the same outcome. Yeah, that's you know? good. That's and that's good. what that's what we hope for. That's, that's powerful. God gave us that. a perfect plan for the church. Mm-hmm. When we look at, at what He gave us, it's perfect. Mm-hmm. Uh, if only people weren't involved, <laughs> and, and because people are human, yeah, you know, all of us yeah. are, and and at different times and in different ways, we we struggle against what God wants mm-hmm. to do. Uh, it, it, it's part of the testimony, though, that the church has, and and right now, my hope and prayer for the church is that we will go beyond uh, human desires and really start to make use of the opportunities that God's giving us. Mm-hmm to bear witness to the hope that we have by the way that we relate to one another, 
good, bad, and in between. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's an ugly side of human nature. It's true. Mm-hmm. But there's also a beautiful side of human nature. We are all created in the image of God so that we could come to know Him. And He's left all of us here for a time to bear witness to who He is to bring others into the family. Mm-hmm. Some of us, like Ian get to, and Travis, get to mm-hmm. do it fairly mm-hmm. quickly. Yeah. And they do their job, and the others of us that are still struggling get left here for a mm-hmm. while. And so I'm eager to... Yeah, I love, to complete I love, what God yeah, wants me yeah, to do. I love how you emphasize over and over again the end game, and that is to to be with the Lord. Even conflict in the church, your desire in that has been that the same the same outcome is there for them as it was for for Ian. The hardest part of conflict in the church to me is walking the high road. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, and you, and you demonstrated that early on with uh, the church's reaction to you and Ian. Th- this begs this question. I wanted to ask you this. Uh, have you ever thought about how different a person you would be today had you not gone through uh, these experiences? I have, and I don't like who I was. Mm. Not that I'm content with who I am. Mm. <laughs> but please mm-hmm. don't misunderstand I that. Sure. You know, I know now what learned behavior is. Mm-hmm. And, and I know that when I was struggling with anger when I first came in mm-hmm. back into the church in, in 84, I know that was learned behavior that mm-hmm. I learned watching my father. Mm-hmm. I didn't know it then, but... But I know that I was modeling what he showed me. He mm-hmm. didn't say, be like me. Mm-hmm. And most fathers, most husbands don't, don't say, be like me. But mm-hmm. they model a behavior. And their children, uh, but for the grace of God, will oftentimes uh, duplicate that or reproduce that mm-hmm. in their own lives. We learn behavior. When Jesus said, I came to set the captives free, I think a big part of that is learned behavior. At least for me. He set me free from a lot of learned mm-hmm. behavior mm-hmm. that was so deeply ingrained in my nature that I couldn't even mm-hmm. see it. You know, after some education, I began to learn what it is. But And crisis, no doubt, set you free it, from it, some of these it things. It certainly yeah. helped do yeah. that. And if it hadn't been for that, well, you know, you, you mm-hmm. deal with people that are struggling with, with addiction, with, with learned behavior, with bad habits, and if... If we don't have something happen that causes us to mm-hmm. turn from it, it generally doesn't get better. Yeah. It usually gets well, worse. Well, the, the, the psalmist says, I forget where, it is good that I was afflicted that I might learn your decrees. Well, we, that, all, we all know that. I mean, you, I, we both would admit that we, uh, we would not be who we are, uh, even though that's not the, probably the ideal yet, but we would... Uh, it, it scares me sometimes to think who I would be had I not gone through what I've gone through. Um, and because I know my, I, I knew what I was like. I knew my tendencies of, uh, of pride and, and things were too easy. I, and, I, and I'm not at all uh, implying here that God uh, says, oh, Mitch needs a lesson here. Let's take his son away. Uh, that's not, th- these are just simply the effects or the outcome of suffering that we uh, were humbled, we're broken, and our dependence in Jesus becomes uh, much more great and much more real. Well, we live in a fallen world, and mm-hmm. so AIDS is going to happen, mm-hmm. and and cancer is going to happen, and, and bad things are going to happen because we're not there yet. Mm-hmm. We're going to a world where we won't have to deal with all of those things, and praise God that it's there. And I yeah. don't know how people get on that don't have that hope. Yeah, I don't know how you face a child's illness without the comfort that you can have in Christ. That's going to be so hard. And and I watched people while we were going through it. I watched people Mm. struggle with that. And in fact, there was a time when we were at Eggleston, there was a couple that were were really struggling and they were cursing God Mm. in the snack room downstairs. 
And, and I'm thinking, how could they do that? Well, went back upstairs, and this I hadn't planned to tell you this story, but we checked into Eggleston one Sunday afternoon. It was a winter day. It was cold. It was ugly outside. Ian was going to have a portacath put in, mm-hmm. a little thing you plug a needle in. Mm-hmm. And, and so we checked in to have that done. And when we checked in, the little boy in the room next door was screaming mm-hmm. in agony. And he screamed from about 2, 2.30 wow. till dark, which mm-hmm. was about 6-ish in Atlanta mm-hmm. that time. And one of the nurses we knew, one of the, one of the bad parts of all of this is you develop relationships yeah, yeah, with sure. people. But Betty came in, a nurse we knew, and I said, I'm glad the little boy in the room next door is getting better. You could tell he was in agony. Mm-hmm. And she said, he's not getting better. He's dying. We've mm-hmm. done everything we can do. And he's quit screaming because there's nothing left. Wow. He won't live to see the sun come up. Wow. And so she left. And Donna's laying on the couch asleep. Mm-hmm. Ian and I are sitting on the bed reading. And he, she left, and Ian said, Daddy, we need to pray for him. Mm. And I said, you're right, Ian, we do. Mm. And so I prayed. Nothing. Nothing happened. Mm. Ian prayed, and that room was filled tangibly with mm. the presence of God <laughs> to the point where I was, I was doing this, looking <laughs> for an angel or some say, manifestation. Yeah. But that boy got mm. healed at that moment. Mm. Next day, he, he's almost normal. Mm. And he lived through that time. I don't know what happened mm. after that. That's amazing. That's amazing. The the prayer and the faith of a child. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's 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 a great story. Um, tie up a loose end here that some people might have. Uh, again, and it, I think people know that the, the connection here. But he he acquired AIDS from the blood transfusion after the accident. And unbeknownst to everybody, the AIDS was in right. in that blood. That, what happened, yeah, I, I think I told you, his bladder burst. He had to have mm-hmm. surgery for yeah. that. He developed adhesions where you know the, mm-hmm. the new skin was yeah. bonding to us. And so they ended up, when they did the surgery to, to repair those, they put a, an adult-sized Miller-Abbott tube in his intestines. Mm-hmm goes down your nose, throat, stomach, and it, it goes to block mm-hmm. to keep so that you can heal. Uh, unfortunately, uh, a nurse came in and thought that was the tube that was in his stomach mm-hmm. and was going to flush it with water. And she put water in that tube, and it water doesn't go in it. Mercury is what mm-hmm. goes in it that makes it fall mm-hmm. down. And so they, could, they couldn't get it back out. The plan okay. with those is to be able to empty them and then pull mm-hmm. them back out sure. the way they come in. Well, he had to have surgery to get that because out. Because of that. Because wow. of that. Okay. And... He got blood twice. Mm-hmm. One time they were hooking the blood up and it blew apart. The mm-hmm. hose blew apart. Donna said blood flew all over the room. Mm-hmm. And they hooked it back up and gave it to him. Wow. I'm not certain that wasn't the blood that yeah, was bad. amazing. That's amazing. Uh, that leaves you with a lot of questions. But, again, both you and I believe strongly in God's sovereignty. And he, for his own reasons, permits these things, asks us as, as dads sometimes to go through hardships like this. Uh, Henry, question. I, I ask this a lot at the end of my interviews, especially with pastors. Uh, a lot of guys out there struggling. Uh, what do you have to say to encourage them today? <laughs> well, I'm glad we have another hour to cover that. Now, seriously, though, if you were to go over all that we've said already, God greatly desires to help us live life. Mm. Whatever it is, mm. whether it's going through a difficult time with a, a child or 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 addictions or, or stinking thinking that we have, whatever it might be, God wants to help us with that because it, His end game, I mentioned Romans 8.28 mm-hmm. to begin with. Let me mention Romans 8.29, for those God foreknew, little King James, mm-hmm. little NIV, 
he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Mm-hmm. And so that's God's end game. Mm-hmm. The confirmation of the likeness of Jesus in all of us. Mm-hmm. And as life is happening, he allows these ugly things to happen to get us there. And if we will just work with him, he'll help us all along the way. Whatever we're struggling with, whether it's a, a habit or, or whatever it might be, because his end game is the glory of mm. the Son in us. I love that. I love that. That's his end game. Yeah. And the question is, how many missteps do we want to have mm. in the journey? Yeah. yeah. I don't want to have any more. No. And, and we're at the point right now, Don and I are, we're, okay, God, what's the, the next big thing mm-hmm. that you want in mm-hmm. our lives? And it's going to be a big transition. Yeah. We know it is. Uh, but that's okay, because we want to leave a legacy behind not for our child mm-hmm. um, but for his name for well his name. not for his name but but for no, God. I mean Christ, Christ's name for, yeah yeah, yeah and, and yeah in his name that is Jesus and and so what can we do to leave a lasting legacy that will continue to make a difference mm-hmm. in the lives of people oh, wonderful great great closing word a, a couple times as I'm looking at you I envision what could have been, although we wouldn't be doing this interview if this if that was the case. But uh, I'm looking at a man who could be bitter. <laughs> I could look at I'm I'm looking at a man who who could have been angry, and who could have walked away from God as many people do. But instead, by His grace, by His mercy, the fact that He was already working in your heart prior to this all happening, uh, you are a tender man with a love. Uh, for the lost, love oh. for, for people, love for Jesus. Bless and, uh, your heart. It's good to have friends that see you well, that way, Mitch. Well, if, I'm, if I'm the only one, then take that to heart. Hey, I don't, th- I don't ta- think I am. I'll today. take what you'll give. I don't think I Well, thank you so much for telling your story, Henry. I know, thank you. I know this will be an encouragement to uh, a good number of people, I hope. Thank take you. Care. Thank you. Well, thank you again for listening to the Before You Quit podcast. If you have any comments or questions about anything we've talked about today, on Before You Quit, you can email me at mitch at beforeyouquit.us. I'd love to hear from you. Uh, it's so encouraging when I bump into people sometimes at church or the grocery store and they tell me that they're reading my blogs and listening to my podcasts. And Otherwise, I would not know really what the reach is of this ministry, so it's really encouraging. So thank you. And you can go to our website, www.beforeyouquit.us. Dot us and read uh, many blogs and listen to up to, I believe now, 36 podcasts that I've done. So until next time, stay encouraged and be courageous because serving Jesus is worth all that hard stuff that comes with it. And remember what we're told in 1 Corinthians 15, 57 through 58, but thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So until next time, stay encouraged.